Welcome to Young and Adulting, a podcast of the Young Adults community at Christ Fellowship Church. Our hope is to create a safe place for authentic conversation around the ins and outs of life as we all try to navigate following Jesus in the world we live in today. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the conversation. What is up, young and adulting? We're so excited for today's episode. If I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, my name is Carissa. I serve as one of the pastors on our young adults team, and I'm thrilled to be recording today's episode with Pastor Lance Witt. We're so excited to have you today. If you don't know Pastor Lance, he is not a guest of the house. He's actually part of the family, right? Um, Part of the family. He serves as an elder here at Christ Fellowship, a spiritual overseer, really, of our staff and our pastors and our leaders, um, but but even more than that, you serve as a pastor and leader across the world. You, I, I've heard that it's kind of like your deepest passion to pastor yeah. pastors and to lead leaders, and we're really honored to have you today, Pastor Lance, to really just impart into the lives of our young adults. So thank you for taking some time. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Carissa, and uh Yeah, I love what I get to do. I love Christ Fellowship. I've been hanging out here for the last 15 years. Wow. Pretty much coming every month for 15 years. So yeah, I'm definitely not an outsider, uh, but I love this place. Love Pastors Todd and Julie leadership here. So it is such an honor to get to be here and to do this with you today. Yeah, we're so grateful. Hey, you know, I've heard that your deepest passion is to really help pastors and leaders uh, to grow in the area of soul health and soul care. Is that right? Yeah, that's (laughs) right on, right in the bullseye. Well, I would love to know just where where does this passion originate? Where did you start going like, yes, this is my mission? Well, I wish I could tell you that it kind of rolls out of just this, you know, moment of revelation from God that this is what I was supposed to do. But the truth is, it really just comes out of my own story and my Mm. own brokenness. Wow. And I think as a young leader, I was very typical of pastors and leaders in my generation, driven, you know, Bible-centered, gospel-centered, want to make a difference, ambitious to serve the Lord and to grow the church. And in many ways, those are some very noble things. But I also, uh, part of my journey is I got invited to be on the staff at Saddleback Church out in California. I was there when Rick Warren wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. I was part of leading our campaigns called 40 Days of Purpose. And we were rolling that out, not just to our church, and our church was exploding in growth, but also to churches around the world. And the truth is, I just wasn't leading myself very well. And so I was a workaholic. Um, constantly busy, uh, caused problems at home. I wasn't being a very good dad. Uh, I was running on empty and stressed out all the time. And so it was really coming to this place of, Carissa, I didn't just want a different way of ministry. I wanted a different way of life. And that led sort of to this crisis moment of realizing I had to make some significant changes. So the short story is I left my role there and didn't have a place to go, didn't have another church to go to. And then in that next little season, out of my confusion and feeling lost, God really did call me to a new way of life. And that began to be the the genesis of the ministry that I now do called Replenish. And so it really starts with, in my own journey 15 years ago, coming to this place where I knew I had to have a different kind of life. And it began with 
paying attention to having a healthy soul. And so now I'm trying to walk with others and be a friend to other people who want the same thing. Wow, that is, it's powerful because I love that God used kind of your point of crisis to really propel you into this calling that he's had for you your whole life. And I think it's so powerful. Well, it certainly is very personal and real to me. Like it is, it's my journey. And I think it's also the journey that parallels for a lot of other leaders who, you know, have noble motives, really pure desires, but can get in some unhealthy ways. And I think one of the dangers of pe- for people in ministry is you can start focusing so much on helping everybody else live the Christian life that you don't pay attention to how you're doing. Wow. And I just think that's a good warning for all of us as leaders to not lose sight of my first responsibility is to lead myself. That's powerful. So I'd love for you to spend a little bit talking about some of those warning signals that you felt like you were you were saying, like, I wasn't leading my family well, wasn't leading, you know, things were getting tough at home, you know, in all spheres of influence, not just in pastoral leadership, but leaders across every sphere. What are some warning signs that, that you would say, that's, that's a red flag? Yeah, I think, you know, that feeling of just sort of being empty, mm-hmm. burned out, um, I think when that begins to be your reality, like you're leading on empty and and leading is hard anyway, but when you're leading on empty, it's doubly hard. And then you become cynical, you become disillusioned. Uh, There's that sense of burnout. I think another symptom is like, there's just no space in your life and you don't, you don't enjoy things like you used to. You don't enjoy recreation. You don't enjoy a beautiful sunset. You You don't enjoy just an unhurried conversation with a friend. And so I think you begin to start skimming in your relationships. That's another symptom. And maybe one of the most common ones is you just become irritable, Mm. right? And you're just cranky and grumpy and hard to get along with. And you have a shorter fuse and you go off on people a little more regularly than you used to. And so I, and, and let me mention one other, I think is, and often this one gets glossed over, but I think your relationship with God becomes stale and mm. mechanical. Wow. Doesn't mean that you stop reading your Bible, but probably in terms of feeling that sense of connection to God, that sort of uh, wanes. And then you find yourself in this place where, you know, like there's not just this life-giving walk with Jesus that is fueling everything you do. Yeah. And I think that's another sign you got to be careful about. Yeah, I think those are all very real signs that I, I think our young adults, we've, we have experienced or will yep. experience at some point. And so I guess my question to you, Pastor Lance, would be, what do we do when we start experiencing that? I mean, not all of us will be able to quit our job and move on to right. something different. So if there's somebody listening that might be experiencing some of those symptoms, what would you say is their next step? Yeah, I think a couple of things come to my mind. I think one is you have to actually create some space to reflect and get honest about where you are and do an honest assessment and step back from the day-to-day grind and go, okay, how am I living? And what's the trajectory of my life? And if I stay on the course that I'm on, where's it gonna end up? And am I gonna like who I am five years from now, 10 years from now, if I stay on the course that I am? So I think one is creating that space to kind of just pull back and assess and evaluate where you are. And then, and this is, is, is hard, but I think you've got to own your own life. 
Now, Jesus ultimately owns our life, right? He bought us with the price of his own blood and his death on the cross, but I'm not passive in that. I have a responsibility to lead myself. And so I think you have to begin to lead yourself. Now, it begins with getting space so that you can get clear about Mm. who you want to be and about the life that you want to have. But at the end of the day, it's not enough just to have clarity. You also have to have courage to actually start living the life and taking the steps that you're going to need to take to order your life around what you say matters most to you. And so I think there's this moment of just going, okay, I am responsible. And the good news is, Second Peter says, God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. Wow. Like every resource that I need to live the abundant Christian life, God has already made available to me. And right. so it is mine, but I have to order my life and be intentional around making some adjustments. And so um, those are, again, those are sort of broad brush strokes, yeah. but I think within that, there's a whole lot that could be done um, as a young adult trying to live for Jesus. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because our, our listeners might not know this, but you're not just a pastor and leader of leaders, but you're also an author. Um, and you have authored uh, multiple books, including yeah. Replenish. You mentioned before High Impact Teams, which are both very impactful books in my life. I've personally read and enjoyed and learned from, but you also just released a book called Your One Life. Yeah, And I'd love for you to give us just kind of a glimpse into the book. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Replenish, which was really written to people in ministry who are leaders, primarily pastors, church staff people. And again, that was coming out of my early journey of sort of coming out of that broken place and beginning to put down some thoughts about what would it look like to live from a healthy soul? And that's really what Replenish was. Well, then High Impact Teams, obviously written to help teams not just be healthy, but also be high performing. And I think that's where the real synergy comes from. Well, this third book is really written to everybody. Any Anybody, I'd say there's two, two, two kind of criteria or qualifications for the book. One is anybody who's a Christ follower. Yep. And secondly, anybody who wants to have a great life. And and I hope <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much yeah. everybody, uh, you know, on the podcast, right? Right, right. Um, so part of it was, Carissa, I'm 63. So I've lived six decades on this planet. Wow. And I have four little granddaughters, two that are seven and two that are nine. And I And one of the things that motivated me to write the book is to say, what would I want to pass on to them? As someone who's lived on this planet for six decades, what would I want them to know so that they can live the life that God really has for them? Because there's so many different directions and options for people living today. But um, So it comes, again, out of my own story and just six decades of trying to do this thing called life. Yeah, well, I, I think it's really powerful that you bring that up. Like you, 63 years old, you're, you're thinking about that in retrospect. But for a young adult, we're, you know, it's, it's not often that I'm going when I'm 63, yeah. I'm thinking about my grandchildren. Right. How, how can you help us start thinking in, with a legacy mindset? Like, why is it important? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Because when you're 27, you don't hear the sweep of the second hand on the clock of your life ticking yeah. like you do when you're right. 63. Right. Like, it's, it's very real. You, I, I get that I have more life in the rearview mirror than I do in the windshield. Mm. 
And so as a young adult, you go, man, I'm going to be here forever. But I think honestly, and this is where I actually start in the book, is um, the, the kind of the title of the first chapter is it's later than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many days you have left in your life. And, you know, God, the Bible says God has recorded our days, but he hasn't revealed right. how many. And, and I don't know when yours will end or how it's going to happen or any of that. Yeah. But all I know is you have one less day today than you had yesterday. Wow. And I, I do think even at 25 or 27, it is so important for you to face your mortality. And, um, you know, Psalm 90 says that we are to, um, you know, look at the brevity of our life so that we can live a life of wisdom. Wow. And I just think it's important to go, I'm not going to always be here forever. And if there was sort of one thrust of the book, it is how do I steward well the one and only life I get? And how great to be 18 or 20 or 25 and have so much of your life ahead of you and get it right from the beginning rather yeah. than get to the end and have all of these regrets. Because what we know for all of us is you get one shot at this planet. Wow. There is no mulligan, no do-over, no second go-round you get one chance at this thing called life. And none of us want to squander our life. None of us want to suck at life, right? <laughs> I'd like to do it well, and, and I can. And so I think even as a young person to kind of like just remind yourself like, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. And, and when I get to the end, I want to be able to look back and go, wow, what an amazing ride great relationships, great family, great experiences, loving Jesus, serving him, being on mission for God and look back and go, yeah, I didn't do it perfectly, but I knew what true north was and I ordered my life around the things that are most important. I love that. I am excited to get dig into this book. It's, well, thank it's you. So it sounds amazing. You gave us a little glimpse of one yeah. of the chapters. You said it's later than it's ever been. Yep. I want to know what's your favorite chapter in the book? Um, probably my favorite chapter in the book is, and by the way, that's a great question. And I had not been asked that yet. Okay. And so I actually had to like (laughs) think, uh, what is my favorite chapter? And so I guess where, where I go is this chapter called the discipline of the daily. Hmm. And, um, so I start the chapter with this quote, everybody wants a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes. Wow. (laughs) And I do think one of the realities of our generation is everywhere you go, you hear all this language around, you know, everybody wanting to be extraordinary and epic and next level and, you know, (laughs) the greatest of all time and radical and world changing and legendary, right? And all this. And so we're constantly being prodded to make a difference and leave a mark and go big or go home. And I think one of the things that gets lost is the value of just embracing the ordinary, the everydayness wow. of life. And, and I think if you want to really be attentive to who you're becoming, you have to pay attention to the details of your daily practices and habits. So again, let me, let me read a quote for you that I use in the book. The crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines. Wow. That who you are becoming is really formed by the daily habits, the different micro steps that you take. And I remember when I was writing the book, I thought about a friend of mine up in Montana and uh, he's really become a dear friend, but he, his dad has been living with them for the last 18 years. 
and his dad has dementia and they have been the caregivers for their dad for 18 years. And that's put a lot of limits on their life. And I just remember my friend Roger kind of saying, I just want to make sure that in these years that my dad is loved really well. Wow. That's beautiful. And, and it's the daily, just daily care. Not, it's never going to make a headline, um, any of that. But I know Annie Dillard said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Hmm. And that's so good. And it makes me think of this verse, Carissa, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul says, make it your ambition. And we like ambition, that, yeah. you know, drive. Like, And you think he would say, make it your ambition to, to leave a huge impact or to leave a legacy. No. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Wow. I've never heard a conference speaker do a session on making it your ambition to lead a quiet life, right? I've never heard that, no. Yeah, me either. And... <laughs> I think instead of like, make it your ambition to be a world changer, what if really the great contribution of our lives was that we just live these amazing everyday lives, like we love people well, we were generous in our everyday life, we, we drove in a way that was <laughs> kind and, you know, uh, and that, that that stranger got our presence and our attention. What, what if and by the way, in that same passage, Paul says, live that way, work with your hands, be quiet, lead a quiet life so that outsiders will be one. Hmm. And so what if the great, great impact of your life was just that you lived such an amazing everyday life that that was so winsome that someone would look at you and say, I want to have that kind of life. Wow, that's, that's powerful because I think, at least for me, and I, and I think this is true of most young adults, we're like, we're concerned about the future, right? Yeah. We've got an end game, an end goal. And I think often we are thinking about how we can order our steps to get us there, not to really strategize and, and, and think about the everyday mundane tasks that we're walking through. Um, I would love to know just like, how does this practically play out in your life? As far as, yeah, I think for me, uh, one, it starts with just internally, like going, hey, th there's not this sort of moment out there that's going to be the game changer for me. And, you know, if I write this book and it sells so many, like, no, it, like, I just want to get up every day and have a great morning rhythm, a daily mm -hmm. rhythm of like just you know, walking with God, focusing on my physical health, time with my, with my wife, loving on my grandkids. Um, and just, and again, I think it's easier at my age to sort of go like, today is so precious. Wow. I, I don't want to be distracted from what is right in front of me by something that I'm striving for a year or five or 10 years down the line. And there's nothing wrong with having goals and working toward those. But don't let that rob you of the really daily joy and satisfaction that can just be in the simple things of everyday life. That's beautiful. I love that. I think it's so powerful for our generation to hear because um, there's nothing like cool about yeah. mundane. <laughs> no, no, there's not. But the truth is it's where we live, right? right. You got to clean your house and do your laundry and fill up your car with gas and <laughs> yeah. vacuum the floor and, you know, take the kids to soccer and like, yeah, but wow, what if we could do that really well? Yeah. Every day and with the right spirit filled up with love and walking in the fruit of the spirit, what if we could be that kind of person? It's powerful. Yeah. I love it. 
Hey, well, I know you challenge us as leaders to, to always be learning and growing and stretching. And I would love to know just what God is teaching you right now. I know you just came off of a 13-week sabbatical. So yes. I want to hear about that and really just what God did in you during that time. Yeah, it was such a wonderful gift. You know, I mean, the truth is most of us get very few, if any, of these kinds of opportunities to take a break from work for three months and to kind of remove all obligation. And um, so it was was an amazing gift. And, you know, just what it did in my marriage, just I I read a ton. I was at home. I was with my grandkids. I had some great experiences. You're being humble. You read a ton. No, you read how many books? I read about 40 books during my sabbatical. So (laughs) yeah, the first month I was a little out of control, just reading everything (laughs) I could get my hands on. But, um, But also just great experiences and to just pull back from work and I, I think for me, I mean, I've, I've been on this journey as kind of a recovering workaholic and driven personality. I've been on this journey to learn how to live with healthy rhythm. Yeah. And I just feel like even in this time, God just took me to a whole other level with this. And like, there's a Hebrew word that I've been really uh, kind of locked in on. And it's the word selah. Some people pronounce it selah. Uh, scholars have really struggled to know how to best interpret the word. So sometimes when they didn't know how to translate it, they would just take the Hebrew word <clears throat> and stick it in the English text. And that's what they did with this Hebrew word, Selah. Right. But most scholars tend to understand it as pause or stop or quiet. And it was often used in musical songs as a break between lyrics or between choruses. And so... Um, just this whole thing of really the beauty of life is learning to embrace sila like putting pause and break and rhythm into my life and i think to to just know that we live in a world that is not friendly to that right we don't yeah. know how to be alone with our thoughts we don't know how to be quiet and still and it there's a funny study that happened in the university of virginia so i i love this so they, they did this study and they brought a person like you, Carissa, right into a room and it was completely sterile, no windows, uh, no stimulation of any kind. You couldn't bring a book, not your phone, no music. And all that was in the room was a chair and a table and then a buzzer on the table. And everybody had to push the buzzer once when they got in the room and the buzzer was an electrical shock. And it was enough of a shock that the people said, yeah, that's painful, that hurts, that's uncomfortable. So then they walked out of the room and left them there, I think for like 30 minutes. And this this is what's amazing. Rather than sit there by themselves, one third of all the women chose to push the buzzer buzzer and experience pain rather than sit there by themselves. Now it won't shock you, Carissa. Oh man. But two thirds of the men (laughs) pushed the button, right? (laughs) Now the point of that study is not to show that guys are just not that bright. The point of the study is, we don't know how to sit quietly. And we would rather experience pain and stimulation through pain than just sit with ourselves. And I think we've really lost something in this whole thing of us not really being able to be quiet and alone. So here's a couple of thoughts I wrote down coming out of my sabbatical. That frantic and deep do not go together. Wow. Hurry and intimacy do not go together and speed and presence don't go together. Wow. 
say, you got to say all of those okay. again. All right. Frantic and deep don't go together. You want to go deep with God. You can't have this frantic, frenetic existence that is just all over the place and not able to pay attention to anything. Wow. Hurry and intimacy don't go together. That's a true statement about a relationship and it's true about your walk with God. Wow. Like, I, I can't be in a rush and a hurry and preoccupied and distracted and expect to have a deep, intimate relationship with my spouse. Right. And then speed and presence don't go together. Like, I think you look at Jesus, he, he never seems to be in a hurry. He never looks past people. He is like this. He is present. He is focused. He's not looking at his, a text message that's coming in. Like, he is with people. And one, there's a strange verse that I stumbled across in my sabbatical that I know I've had to have read dozens of times, but it's really captured my attention. It's the first words of Luke 8, 18, and it says this. Um, Pay attention to how you hear. Yeah. Interesting. Pay attention to how you hear. And what what I kind of come away from that with is like, one, to pay attention costs you something, but to pay attention, you have to slow down. Yeah. To pay attention, you have to notice, and you can't notice as much when you're in a hurry. And then pay attention to how you're hearing. Like, how am I hearing, one, what God is saying to me, but how am I hearing even in a conversation? You know, sometimes we're so fast and preoccupied, we're just thinking about the next thing we want to say, right? And listening is not the same as just waiting to talk. Yeah. Like, right? So learning to be present. And so... For me, the thing that I, coming out of my sabbatical is God just c- continues to say, slow down the RPMs, wow. slow down the pace, um, and actually walk with me. And you don't mm-hmm. walk with Jesus while you're running. You have to go at a walking pace. Wow. And that's hard. Um, but I, I just, the other thing I think that comes out of that is it just makes me a kinder, more loving human being. Like yeah. I think one one description I would give of these 90 days of sabbatical is I feel like the pace of life and just everything that comes at us makes us a little hard and calloused and cold. Mm. And what I think one thing that happens in me over these last four months is just a bit of a softening of my spirit. Wow. To slow down, to notice, to be loving, to be a little bit more tender and gentle with people. That's powerful. I think what you shared is so true about me and about many of us. It's just like, we don't want to be alone with our thoughts. We don't know how to get quiet and still. And I would love, especially since this is an area God has really grown in you, how can we grow in that? What steps can we take to get better at that? Well, if you were to rewind the clock, probably a couple of years, uh, one of the things I teach a lot about is Sabbath. And so I have such a high value on hard work that I would say to people, man, work really hard and then rest really well and learn to take a Sabbath. The problem is you can't go 100 miles an hour all week long and slam on the brakes (laughs) and enter Sabbath into this place of rest. I think that creates whiplash for your soul. So I would say to young adults listening, like learn to build moments and breaks and intermissions into your everyday life. That's great. So like 
in the morning, like I, I just read this book called The Common Rule, and this guy, one of his values is scripture before phone. Mm. So instead of grabbing for your phone first thing in the morning, what if you said, you know what, until I spend time with God, I'm gonna make sure I get my time with God before I get on the phone. Or one of my challenges is that I sit in a lot of meetings, and I've learned that like I just can't go back to back to back meetings so I've now got to where I schedule breaks between my meetings during the day. Um, maybe you need to learn how to actually have just silence in your day. So I've been practicing like just three minutes of silence in the morning. I have a little uh, app called Centering Prayer, yep. and you're able to put in there how long you want to be silent, and it'll have a little chime when the three minutes is up. But man, just sitting with three minutes of silence for us these days is so hard. Feels like an eternity. Um, yeah, it does. And then I would say, really, the practice of Sabbath is such a game changer because if you begin to have this rhythm of one in seven, where there's a day that's not about being productive, it's not about work, it's not about achieving, but it's just about being yeah. and resting and experiencing God in a in a way that isn't about your work and accomplishment. Um, that has been a game changer for me. But I'm also learning it's not enough just to do Sabbath. I have to integrate these rhythm and pauses and breaks into my everyday life. I think that's such a great practical step for us to take. And I think for so many of us, we might desire that, but yeah. maybe we're not the, the boss of our own schedule or we're, you know, we feel like a little bit stuck because we yeah. want to have those rhythms, but we don't feel like we have the power to put those rhythms in our life. Yeah. So what would you say to maybe the young adult that's, that's trying to find those rhythms, um, but maybe can't take one day off yeah. of work? Well, I'd say a couple of things. I think one would just be start where you are um, and, you know, just take a micro step. Maybe yeah. it's not you can't take the whole day work, but what if you took a, a Saturday morning? And for now, that's the start of your Sabbath. And so I would say, you know, start where you are and begin to take those small steps. I think sometimes we let, like, it just feels daunting, like a whole day a week <laughs> and like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? Well, Take a small step, you know? And one of the lessons I learned from Rick Warren is don't let separate, learn to separate decision-making from problem-solving. Wow. So the right decision is God has ordained Sabbath as a way to have life be sustainable and replenishing. That's the right decision. The problem is, I don't know where I'm gonna find a day a week. All right, so separate those two out. Like, First off, get clear about the right decision and then start figuring out how you can begin to get there. And it may take you a while. It's taken me a while. And the other thing I would say, here I am 15 years into this, now at age 63, it is still a daily battle for me. Wow. But it is worth fighting for, Carissa. Like fighting for those breaks, fighting for that pause, fighting for that rest um, is gonna make you a better person. And so it's still a daily struggle for me. And I think what, there's, two, there's two parallel tracks here. One is how do I order my external world, at least what I can control? And by the way, I would say, I think most of us have more control over our time than we want to admit. Yeah. I don't have full control, but I do have parts of my day or my weekend or whatever. So there are pieces of my world that I do control. So the first yeah. track is how do I order my external world so that there can be breaks and quiet and space and then, maybe more importantly, how do I now recalibrate my internal world? Because I remember when I 
came out of Saddleback, workaholic, unbelievably fast-paced life, and I'm trying to practice Sabbath, well, even if I slow down on the outside, my internal RPMs were just redlining, and I, there was this restlessness inside of me. And so I think you have to also realize that part of your journey is to learn to slow down and to realize that you are not just a human doing, you are a human being. Wow. And that even when you're doing nothing on a Sabbath, God loves you just the same as when you're accomplishing a lot. So and good. so there's this internal journey also that is like embracing and welcoming this idea of rest and Sabbath. I think you need to talk more about that internal recalibrating that, that you mentioned. You got the external side with the internal side. You said like the things are racing inside. What does that mean exactly? What does that look like? Well, I think all of us, uh, you know, you have a soul and most of us focus on all the externals of our life, right? And, and I think even when a lot of us became Christians, our discipleship is really just behavior modification. Just stop doing all the wrong things we call sin. Start doing all the right things that are, you know, pleasing to God. And, and I realize that's part of your discipleship. But you have a soul. You have an inner life. You have emotions. And part of what God wants to do in your discipleship is to also transform your emotions. Yeah. And, and so I think all of us carry around in us these internal scripts. The, it's the narrative. It's the story you're constantly telling yourself. And that story informs everything you do. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So yep. the Christian life flows from the inside to the outside, from the root to the fruit, from the invisible to the visible. And we have to learn how to manage our inner world. And sometimes we're so busy that that can sort of almost be a medication to not have to deal with who we are internally. So the primary script and the story I've told myself for all these years, Carissa, is, and I really picked it up as a young kid in, in a family where work and responsibility was a high value. And the script was work hard, be responsible, do good. And that's how you achieve and that's how you get loved. Wow. Well, when that's the story you're constantly telling yourself, you're only as good as your latest achievement, right? So it keeps you grinding because you've always got to be proving yourself and making sure that people know that you're working hard. And so like for me, part of my internal journey around Sabbath was having to come to this place of going, Lance, you are loved just like you are. And it's if beautiful. you don't do anything today, Jesus still loves you just the same. That's great. And so I think there's a connection, obviously, between our inner world and our outer world. And it's not enough just to try to rearrange your outer world. So I'll tell you a really quick story. So yeah. one day, I'm kind of a productivity junkie and always trying to figure out how to work smarter, you know, not just harder. And so constantly playing with my schedule and my commitments, trying to squeeze everything in that I can, right? So one day, I'm messing with my calendar and rearranging some things and just out of the blue, I just feel like it's one of those moments like the Holy Spirit just ambushed me and took the spotlight off my calendar, put it on my soul and began to ask questions like, so Lance, why are you so driven? Wow. Why do you have to feel compulsively busy and fill up every moment on your calendar and, and constantly be overscheduled and overcommitted? Like, what's that about? Well, it, it was way more than just arranging the blocks on my calendar, right? It, this was a soul issue. 
And the reason I was so dysfunctional around all that was because there was some stuff going on inside of me around my need to achieve, my need to be seen as successful, my need to be productive. And the Holy Spirit sort of took me on this journey of like, hey, it's not enough just to rearrange the externals. Wow. You can have your calendar in perfect order and still have a soul that is all screwed up, right? Wow. And so I think for me, it's like you have to, it's a parallel journey. You have to focus on both the internal and external. That's so, so helpful. I, I love that. This has been such an amazing conversation, but I think we only have time for one more question. So, All But right. take your time on this because okay. we really want to know. You've got a captured audience of young adults and, and you have life experience. And I would just love to know now, you know, all these years serving as a, as a leader and really wrestling some of these really significant things down for yourself. What would you say is like the best advice you could give to a young adult? Great question. Okay, so a couple of things come to my yeah. mind. I'm taking notes. I think one is I would say to you, if we could sit down and have a cup of coffee, go to school on your own soul. Mm. Become a student of your life. Um, all of us are the product of a lot of different things in our culture, right? In, in media and coaches in our past and teachers and parents. And um, one of the tools I love to introduce to people is something called the genogram. And the genogram kind of just helps you understand your past and maybe things even from your family of origin that continue to impact you today, like like how, how your family resolved conflict, mm. right? That impacts you today. And so I think for you to be a healthy leader, you, you have to go to school on your own soul and understand who you are and how you're wired, both the good stuff and the ugly stuff. And um, I, I, I think your ability to grow in self-awareness is going to make you a healthier person. And I, I would say self-awareness is your best defense against self-deceit. Wow. And for you to be the person and the leader and the Christ follower that you want to be, you have to grow in self-awareness. And then if I could just throw one more yeah, thing in. Yeah, please. This is great. Uh, it's this little phrase I've been using lately, and it is to grow, go granular. Sometimes we, we, there's this old saying that says the devil is in the details. But I would also say the growth is in the details. The transformation is in the details. And it's about the little micro steps that we need to take. And sometimes I remember when I was a kid, I would listen to sermons and I would walk away a little frustrated. I remember when I was taking notes, I would write in the margin of my Bible, Y-B-H. And it, what that meant was, yes, but how? Like, Yes, you've inspired me. Yes, you've challenged me. But how do I do that? Right. And I think for some of us, the reason we're stuck is we're not taking the small little micro steps. If you could take one micro step per quarter, you could revolutionize your life. Wow. And so I think just leaning into like, yeah, what's, what's the small thing? that I, I need to do. You know, maybe you, if you are married and you've got a family, like maybe it's like going, you know what? We need to, it's three times a week. We're, we're gonna commit to have a family dinner together. Or maybe you feel addicted to your technology and you go, you know what? By eight o'clock every night, my phone's going to, I'm, I'm putting my phone to bed. Um, yeah. Maybe for you, it's like, hey, I gotta be in the word every day. And so six days a week, I'm gonna make sure that I'm spending time with, but what's the micro step 
because I think often the real transformation is in those little habits that begin to turn the dial on our life. And really in the long term, the compound interest on those decisions is enormous. I so, love it. Go to school on your soul and go granular. Yep. That's amazing. What a, what a really tangible way to take a next step out of this conversation. I, this has been so rich, Pastor Lance. Thank you for this. But I know some young adults are probably wondering where they can get access to some of the resources you mentioned today. How can we get access to your book and maybe some more information from you? Yeah, of course, the books are available on Amazon. Um, probably the easiest way to get them and then I do have a, a website, replenish.net. has a few resources um, that people could access there. And then, you know, I uh, on Twitter and, and Instagram, it's just Lance underscore wit is the easiest way to find me and um, trying to post, you know, regular good content that's thought-provoking and biblical yeah. um, on those places. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for your time today, Pastor Lance. We so appreciate it. And I've taken so many notes. I'm sure all of us listening have, but this has been another amazing episode from Young and Adulting. We love you, young adults. We'll see you back here for our next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Young and Adulting. Don't forget to tune in Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. on our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at cf.youngadults. And if there's a topic you'd like to talk about, we want to hear about it. Send us an email or leave a comment with your thoughts. We'll see you next time.